Welcome to the TripCast. I'm John Dickerson of the Slate Political Gab Fest. The last time I was in Austin for a long time, your governor was elected president. So get ready for Governor Perry. But before that, join us Wednesday, April 23rd at the Schultz Garden for a joint TripCast Slate Gab Fest live podcast. Find out more and get tickets at www.slate.com slash Austin. And now here's your TripCast host, Reeve Hamilton. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the TribCast for the second week of April. We are very excited about our upcoming GabFest with Slate on the 23rd, so please come to that. In the meantime, I'm joined by executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Editor Emily Ramshaw. Hello there. And Ben Philpott of KUT and the Texas Tribune. Howdy. Oh, wait a minute. That's wait, already been that's said. Damn it. Sorry. <laughs> Try again. It's been so that's long. my motto, about, uh, Hold on, hold on. And Ben Philpott of KUT and the Texas Tribune. Hello. Well, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we <laughs> really innovative. That. <laughs> well, shall we dive right in? I think we have a number of topics today, and I think our first one will be University of Texas System Regent Wallace Hall. I've read the latest report about him. Ross, you've read the latest report. You, uh, I haven't read it in the detail you have. Let's hear it. <laughs> well, what were so, your favorite words from the report? What was oh, this yeah. list of? <laughs> I had a list of I had a list of words, but I can't pull it up really fast. Uh, so this is a report from Rusty Harden who is the special counsel to the Transparency Committee. It's actually the House Select Committee on Transparency and State Agency Operations. And that committee has been investigating Wallace Hall, who was a regent appointed to the University of Texas System Board of Regents back in February 2011. And his uh, track record on the board has been controversial, to say the least. Uh, And they've been considering whether or not to recommend articles of impeachment against him. Basically, he's been conducting sort of multiple personal investigations of the UTS administration and costing people a lot of time and money and heartache. He says he's also uncovering serious problems at the university. Um, but yeah, he would not describe them as personal investigations. I mean, he would describe well, no, I think investigations he would. into wrongdoing at the no, university. No, I mean, they're investigations that he is leading and conducting. Mm-hmm. Right, not as a... Not as a he would... He would describe not them on behalf as, of the regents, but as a regent. He right. would describe them as things that he has to do because no one else there is willing to do the politically difficult work that he's doing. Mm-hmm. But he is doing them basically on his own, and I don't. I think he would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the lawmakers have accused him of being on a witch hunt to get rid of Bill Powers, and that's been a sort of a back and forth, ongoing thing. Right. Or lawmakers, I guess, have also assumed that you know he's trying to potentially threaten them by sort of digging up dirt on you know how Jim Pitts's son got into law school. That's what he has alleged. He has right. alleged that they're trying to cover up their sordid entanglements with the UT Austin. And that one in itself has become one of the items that might help get him impeached, right? Right. So Rusty Harden, the committee special counsel, they put out his report to the committee this week, this is not the committee's final report, so we still don't know what they're going to do, but their special counsel, who basically you know, organized the investigation for them and has compiled all their information, said that they have four legitimate grounds for impeachment if they decide to proceed against Hall. And what I thought was interesting about it from reading the report uh, is – well, reading the report is interesting just because it is so colorfully worded. I think Hall is described as – Bullying, blustery, vindictive, malignant, um, and, and sort of at every turn, 
they are the committee is offered the opportunity to view him in the worst light. For example, you know, Hall refused to testify before the committee, so Hardin's team writes, you know, of course it's not at all you know, he's totally within his rights to not testify before the committee. This might be something that people do when they have something to hide. <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff, stuff like that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it, it, it goes on like this, but an example. Hall has engaged in a vindictive pattern of bullying administrators he ranks above the UT system and its component institutions. If subordinates failed to comply with his demands or if subordinates disagreed with his policy aims, he attempted to pressure those individuals to comply. Because malignant management... And personal skills alone do not likely warrant legislative action. Council also examined whether Hall's problematic conduct was directed at the best interests of the institutions he was appointed to serve. It was not. So that gives you a good sense of the tone. And But what I really thought was interesting is that a decent chunk of the things he might get impeached for, so the four things listed by Harden as the most impeachable offenses, either happened entirely or in part after or even because the committee was considering impeaching him. Yeah. So it's sort of like Which doesn't seem really situation. I mean, that doesn't exactly seem kosher to me. I mean, is that that sort of feels like entrapment. Hall's not Jewish. Yeah. All right. (laughs) 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 Monday is Passover? Passover. Yes. Uh, I mean, but it seems to me like, you know, that's the same kind of allegations that you come under in, like, the To Catch a Predator show. Well, I mean, like, but that's, gonna commit a crime that's what anyway, Bill Clinton or? was impeached yeah, for. the Department no. of Pre-Crime or something like that. Yeah, right. right. Like the uh, Minority wasn't, Report. Wasn't Clinton more or less impeached for not telling the truth in his hearings and his impeachment? Yeah, it's your conduct, you know, while in office. And that includes conduct after the, you know, investigation, investigation of your conduct in office has begun. You know, mm-hmm. the, the first rule of holes is stop digging and Hall has kept digging. Well, well literally he's kept digging. So, right. I mean, one of the things, one of the impeachable offenses is just his burdensome and endless re- demands for information from the UT Austin system, which have sort of overtasked their records office. And, and he's never really explained why he was digging into things. And it's caused a lot of problems for everyone and the system lawyers are fighting with the university lawyers um and that was happening that was one of the reasons that they started the impeachment investigation but that did not stop hall from continuing to demand that stuff and in fact he's still doing that to this day even after the public hearings have ended so he literally kept digging into the ut austin and digging himself sort of a deeper hole with the committee i guess right. um the other one is that his ha- his handling and sort of they frame it as Uh, pressure and manipulation and intimidation of witnesses for the committee. So President Powers from UT Austin, Chancellor Sigueroa, and UT Austin's chief financial officer all testified. And then Hall Hall tried to pressure Chancellor Sigueroa into taking – basically, you know, either firing or reprimanding Powers and Hegarty for their – Comments before – For their testimony, which Hall believed was misleading. Right. But the committee said, you know, you can't bully the witnesses, which goes against the UT system has a policy about uh, not taking any action against whistleblower policy about whistleblowers. And um, and the committee had asked them, do not take any negative employment action against anyone that's involved in our investigation. So he was pushing for that. So that might get him impeached. He might get impeached because he there was this thing where the UT Austin had a disagreement with. CASE, which is this national organization that sets fundraising standards. And so they had a system-approved trip to talk to the people at CASE and try to work out their differences and see if they could get a policy that was workable for everyone. 
And for reasons that are still sort of unknown to everyone, Hall flew up to D.C. and attended this meeting and argued against UT Austin. And because the regent rules, it's sort of the, the code of the regents, if you will, calls for him to not publicly criticize the, uh, the institutions and to uh, do what's in their best interest. Sort of the keep the fight at the dinner table yeah. and don't take it outside. Since but... he went to fi- publicly fight against them in D.C., they think that shows that he's sort of not competent. What, what's his that? aim here? What's, what, 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 what's your sense of that? I mean, what's, what's, what, how does all this come out if Hall succeeds um, in what he's trying to do? It's unclear because he has not been very forthcoming with his motivation, right? I mean, he's, they've sort of put out, well, we found this stuff. And, uh, you know, well, we've been digging and we found this stuff. And this stuff might be like, oh, an email from Jim, from someone inquiring to someone else in the university about the status of Jim Pitts's son's application to the law school. Right. So he says, clearly there's like a, a clout scandal over there where politicians can have an open-door policy. And, you know, there might be some setup where politicians can get people into the university easier than other people. It would be shocking, people. wouldn't it? Yeah. It would be yeah. totally shocking. I mean, but he, he doesn't have a but, bigger – he hasn't said what the bigger he, goal and, is. And so he'll throw these things out, but then he, when he's sort of offered the opportunity to come give his side of the story, often he hasn't taken it. So there was this whole thing. The committee refused to subpoena him, and he refused to testify – Right. But he could have come and testified, isn't and he, there, cho- he chose to not come and testify. Isn't there some defense for him in the idea that if he succeeds in what he's doing, that that's for the good of the institution, and yeah. it's not against the? And I mean, one of the one of the things here is he's not acting in the interest of the institution, and it seems like his best defense is, "Yeah, I am." That is an argument he could make, and if he wanted to come right. and make that publicly, uh, we would welcome that. I think, but I guess <laughs> but, without uh, a large, without saying the. I believe this is happening, I'm trying to figure this out, then how can you say and, you're... Well, and the problem is... Well, maybe his lawyer's advising him not to. Well, maybe. Well, we I think his lawyer's did advise him not to I mean, and I think testify without a subpoena. The way this could all come out in the wash is, you know, if he gets impeached, I believe he'd totally play the martyr card, which is that, you know, I've been impeached yeah, I for... I think that's already happening. Well, <laughs> you said he hasn't spoken publicly. I mean, you know, right. if he, how this comes out is that he'll basically say, right. you know, I was impeached for exposing these inappropriate relationships and this inappropriate influence. And it was totally in the best interest of the university. And, you know, at least it's out there, you know. Right. I'll just say quickly, the fourth thing that he might get impeached for is the handling of this letter uh, with information about Jim Pitts' son. And this is also sort of tied – this is also something that might not have happened without the impeachment investigation. And that's actually federal law, right? You're messing with the records of the student. He may have violated federal private student privacy Privacy. laws. And uh, so basically he – a letter about a state representative's son getting into law school, which contained identifiable information about that student who did get into law school, which makes it federally protected. Uh, He shared that with his lawyers and then after being told by the system not to – and then that seems to have gotten, although this is a big inference, there's not direct evidence about this, but that letter seems to have gotten from his lawyers to blogs that were friendly to Hall's cause. So uh, they accuse him of mishandling private student information. Right. You have so, this. It got out. It must have gotten out from you. But uh, no, so it's not clear what his aim is. I mean, obviously, he wants powers gone. I mean, that's just unambiguous. And hasn't Perry largely supported him in this impeachment effort? Yeah, yeah. Perry has said that this impeachment effort is sort of an effort to chill regents. And obviously Perry appointed him mm-hmm. yeah. and, and sort of cover things. And that's one of the interesting things about this whole thing is that Perry's just allowed this to go on. Now, I think part of the part of the difficulty with Hall's of case that he's doing this all in the best interest of the university is that 
clearly this has not been good for the university, right? I mean, just the process. And so you can maybe, oh, well, maybe the light at the end of the tunnel is good. Well, right. Yeah, I mean, you could make the argument that, you know, short term this is tough, but long term this is for the good of the university. I'm just, I'm just, I think it's it's interesting that he hasn't really sort of given his theory of the case. One of the things, one of the things that they call him out for in this report, and I think the the report is sort of from uh, an unfriendly light. Right. But uh, they say say that no witness, and they mostly heard from anti-Hall inclined witnesses. No witness could point to a single reform that he's proposed. Uh, you know, his most notable ref- uh, reform is that he got this uh, online sort of database of records requests that the university system has received. Right. So when somebody makes an open records request, the university posts it up on its site, and with, but doesn't post the answers, which is right. sort of right. It's sort of. And I think it's actually but, caused more, you know, difficulties over there than it has. Yeah, it's Thanks. made you know, you know it's made some reporters mad, but you know who cares what you mentioned. About. Uh, you mentioned whistleblower earlier in terms of uh, other people, the witnesses coming before the committee. You, could you see Hall calling himself a whistleblower in, in any impeachment hearing? He hasn't blown a whistle yet. Well, but I mean, if if <laughs> if we see if if you see him as you were saying, you know, maybe the speculation that he's going to, you know, when compelled through a subpoena, maybe during an impeachment hearing, to give what his end goal is. No, but they're not going to subpoena him. They made that no, clear. Public hearings are more or less over. So the sh- subpoena itself serves as a legal shield, and so his lawyers are telling him, don't go without a subpoena because th- that privileges the information and you want it privileged. Apparently, enough. but you also see this is – and they talk about this in the report. This seems to be sort of a pattern where he sort of gets the wheel, the wheels of accusation in motion and then sort of doesn't follow through, right? So, like, if you really wanted to make his case, he could do that. But he's done a similar thing with – they talk about this, the attorney general's office. So over a year ago or about a year ago, they mm-hmm. referred an investigation to the law school foundation, the regents did, to the attorney general's office. The attorney general's office then said, can each of you tell us what you want us to investigate over there? Because you guys have already investigated it and you were unsatisfied with the results of your own investigation. So that's why you're asking us to do it. We don't want to waste our time. Tell us what you want us to look into. And Hall has refused to give them a written statement. It's, it's, you know, it's like he won't go on the record with any – Goals or vision or so it's motivation. Just Spanish Inquisition. So uh, let's. And maybe he's maybe he thinks he'll get trashed if he goes on the record, which is probably true. So and he's out- not getting trashed, not going on the record. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so outside of the nitty gritty details. Why does this here, matter? No, I, that wasn't what I was going to ask. <laughs> I know. I think I know why it matters. What I was going to yeah. ask is play this out. Is he going to get impeached? Is the, are the votes there? I mean, will mm-hmm. they recommend it? Will the House vote on it? What will the Senate do? So yeah. So right now, so the. The committee has to decide what they want to do. If you look at the committee, you you would probably think that they have just enough votes to recommend impeachment. And the way Hall has treated them has angered some of the people that would have been more favorable to him Mm -hmm. by refusing to show up, by his lawyers saying, sending angry letters, accusing the committee of not doing their job, of being politically motivated. So that he's angered people there. I think Dan Flynn, who might have been more who's a co-chair who might have been more on the fence about the whole thing, has called Hall's treatment of the committee a slap in the face. So I think he's made no friends at the committee. Some of the people at the committee were already not on his side. Uh, and, and then you have people like, you know, one of the committee members has repeatedly called for the governor to demand his resignation. Uh, so I would think that they would have the votes on the committee. Uh, and that makes a recommendation to the House. The House mm-hmm. votes to either the impeach House or have, not impeach, and then right. it tries in the Senate. Right. So they have, timing-wise, they have an interesting yeah, do they have to timing call the House problem. In if they do that? Yeah, the speaker can call the House in if they recommend impeachment. 
if they get 50 signatures, which oh, will so be so they don't have to wait for the regular session. No, because there's special rules for impeachment. Back to Austin. Go around well, the governor. But um, happy summer. Yeah. But you know, the, you have like the Michael Quinn Sullivan folks who wield some influence in the House do not want to see Wallace Hall impeached, and, and they'll be watching Senate. this closely. This is Empower Texans, and yeah, uh, and, and folks like that, right? You know, uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they can muster the votes. I think the leadership in the House is not a big fi- like doesn't have not Hall does not have many fans in the leadership of the House. Uh, so they might have a shot of voting him out. And Hall has been uh, sort of making political donations in political season, which might sort of cast him in a negative light for people that might otherwise have not really cared about the situation. Hmm. Um, so it, it could get out of the House now. The Senate is where it sort of gets tricky, and especially if they don't get it done before the November elections when everyone's either a lame duck and don't care or you have the new, more conservative Senate coming in. When is Hall's term up? 2017. Okay. <laughs> so we could just – we could they could just sit on the recommendations until 2016, I right. guess, and then this has to, time to bring them out. But if Hall gets – if Hall does get impeached, which is still a long shot despite all the sort of we've gone through, uh, he will be the third big impeachment in the state's history, the first non-elected official – in the state's history. So it could be a very historical figure. <laughs> After all it. this, we've spilled a lot of ink about it. Yeah. But so the re- we'll see what happens with the report. But so now we the grounds for impeachment have been laid out. And that's sort of where we are. And when are they going to make the report itself public? They've it's released public. It. It's public. It's on the House we've a representative it out last night. website. But it, it is interesting, though. It seems like a lot of this just could have been avoided by cooperating with the committee whether you think that they're on the level or not i think right well i I mean i guess if you think that the end game is going to be or the the committee is going to come up with an impeachment either way then why show up well on the other hand you know you could you can make an argument here that the whole kerfluffle has made public some things that you want or kerfuffle it could be a kerfluffle you don't know (laughs) Uh, depends on how bad it is yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) Um, that that the whole thing has raised the visibility in a way that he wanted it raised. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like I said, murder. Yeah, but I just think when you scratch the surface of the issues he's raised, they might be concerning, but maybe not quite damning. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, they're I think darting. You, I think I <laughs> think darting. Yeah. <laughs> How I think much? for him to pl- to play the martyr card going forward, they have to be pretty damning. Right. For for all of this, he's you know. There were people that will blame other people, but none of this would have happened without Wallace Hall. Right. Right. Other people say that Wallace Hall – sort of other people have been going after Wallace Hall, and that's why we've spent so much money on this investigation, blah, 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 blah. But there are ways that Wallace Hall could have made this better. Hmm. Uh, But that's not the only committee that's had action this week. There's also a big uh, discussion of open carry over at the – Capitol, which came sort of not long after the Fort Hood shooting. Do we think open carry is going to happen in the coming session? You know, I think it would be hard for a Republican legislature to vote against it. It de- kind of depends on how it gets framed and, and <laughs> how it Especially when Wendy Davis up. supports it. Right. I mean, you know, the, <laughs> if you it, it, it kind of depends on how they present it and how it goes through the system. And it also depends on what's in the headlines at the time that they're doing it. I mean, if there's a, you know, some incident that makes that issue more or less attractive. I think they're really, really sensitive to public opinion and public sentiment at the time that they're actually voting. 
but if it gets to the floor of either house, I, I think it's very difficult for these guys right. who've been talking about it this whole time to vote against it. That would be sort of interesting, and, and I'm sure that both sides would present it to them as a career move however they vote. Right. You know, something we learned from uh, our most recent polling center post on this by Jim Henson and Josh Blank is that, you know, in Texas, the dialogue after there are events like Fort Hood is not around gun control. It's around uh, fewer restrictions on guns. Right. If, so I, I think if only someone there had had a gun to defend themselves. Right. Exactly. The other thing I actually learned from our story on this that I thought was interesting is that you can already openly carry in Texas hunting rifles yep. and certain kinds of guns. Basically, we're just, just not handguns. Just not really. handguns. Right. Long rifles are yeah right. allowed. And, and they had that well during South by Southwest. They had a uh, a demonstration of multiple people with their rifles walking down Sixth Street. Right. I think that was just a band. You know, <laughs> I think when you have again, when that was you just have, the polyphonic spree. Left They're out, doing this whole left civil war. Club owners thing. who are really, yeah. really cranky. I think there are there are a lot of groups that that oppose open carry of handguns because they feel like it's you know intimidating, potentially dangerous. You know, I think Chewy Hinojosa had a, a great quote in the story where he said it was open carry was in bad taste and bad manners, which I thought was funny. But you know, when you have again Wendy Davis making a lot of headlines for saying she's not you know opposed to the open carrying of handguns, you know. Well, I think it would just be interesting to see what kind of restrictions they put on. I mean, you know, Davis's kind of qualifier for all this, and, and other people as well have been. Uh, as long as know, everyone as long with as, handguns gets paid equally, well, it's fine. Yeah. Right. No, as long as uh, <laughs> if, like, if everyone, if Emily came in with a handgun, I'd pay her equally. Yes, you know, I, seriously. Uh, but, uh, well, and actually, I, I hope mean, that's not what it takes, Ben. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, that's been some of the debate around, about, around open carry, around concealed carry on college campuses is that, you know, if students, if you know right. your student is packing heat, you know, are you, are you give less them likely to give yeah. them a D on yeah, the Yeah, let's paper? talk about grade inflation yeah, here, right? Yeah, exactly. I do but, think- but, uh, but Wendy Davis is, quali- you know, it's, uh, well, it, only if the the private business allows it, only if the college campus allows I mean, it, 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 it allows open carry, so she, but then she's says for all open these carry, individual. She's for open carry where it's allowed. Right, please, right. Please leave where's, gun at right. door. So there's so a, like, that a would gun be, check and room. That would be interesting. I think that's going to be the most interesting part of the legislation is will it allow a city like Austin to say thanks but no thanks, or will it tell the city of Austin you have to do it? Uh, local control That's what you're saying. Here's Republicans I, love yeah. local control unless it affects I mean anybody does. politicians Watch in him. general. I mean well you've had you <laughs> had talk about local control and yet you've got vetoes of local option gas taxes for for TxDOT. Right. Uh I mean there've been multiple instances of uh you know just politics in general of you know everything's local control unless of course we have an overarching theme we want to force everyone to do. I will say someone from the National Rifle Association testified uh and this sort of struck me as wrong but he basically said that, look, we're not talking about a big change here. You know, people are already carrying guns. We're just saying that a different way to carry them. It's a slight tweak. And it seems like the difference between carrying something concealed and openly carrying a handgun seems like a big change. Yeah, it's not me. a slight tweak. Well, <laughs> well, you might argue, you know, well, you might argue that if someone's carrying it openly, at least you know. Yeah, actually, this came up in the debate over the concealed transparency. handgun law. Yeah. Well, about well, when, they did this, when they did this the first time, this came up in the debate and said, wouldn't it be, you know, more of a deterrent to criminal or bad activity if they could see that you had a gun. They wouldn't do well, it, you know. Is, yeah, isn't a, isn't the other argument to that that when you walk into a room and you see the one person with a gun, you just shoot them first? <laughs> I mean, I, so the Alabama now, way, right? Now we know Philpot's strategy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It seems to me like the bigger debate is around carrying or not carrying, not whether you conceal it or it's not concealed. Well, that's, I think, that's, the, I think, that's the argument yeah. here. Is yeah. that the, is that the open or closed is really I just think, a nuance? I think concealment or not concealment is a 
big difference. Because openly carrying a gun seems like a more aggressive posture to take just if you're walking around among a group of people than quietly carrying a gun. It would it's, not, it's like not being able to tell which snakes are poisonous right. or something. Right? It would certainly help me to know which Which would make me side. much more comfortable if I fall into a bed of snakes. <laughs> well, I mean, think about being on the House floor. I would certainly feel more comfortable with my seat selection if I knew which of those lawmakers were carrying guns. Right. Not the most trustworthy bunch. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to stick to long rifles myself. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Just don't carry rifles that are from like eight, the 1880s, right? Right. Those yeah, are that, still illegal. Right. So are we handicapping... Open carry is a likely passage for the if, session. Well, if it gets they, to the floor. If they let it get to the floor of either house, I think it'll pass. But I think that's a huge if. I mean, that's that's what yeah. that's what the legislative process is all oh, about. Right. Does this get hung in committee? Does it get hung in calendars? Does yeah. the new lieutenant governor, whoever that is, say, or does it get Patrick. shot down? Because we're well, moving ah, on that yeah. now. Good, Somebody had to do good that. Shot down. Yeah. That's good, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you have to do the rest of the podcast by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I feel that way. Actually, oh. you probably do feel that way sometimes, Ross. <laughs> like Awkward. when I'm checking my phone in the podcast, yeah, which I'm not doing today or last week. Just needs yeah. to shout that out. It's kind of like a therapy session all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, well, uh, speaking of therapy sessions, let's talk about the sort of big gathering to revitalize Lyndon <laughs> B. Johnson's we career just, and legacy. We just compared the Civil Rights Summit to <laughs> a, therapy. a therapy session. That's pretty good, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Ben, it's, it's happening in your backyard. What is the deal? What about, what about our backyard? It's closer to Ben's backyard. It is closer to my backyard. Ben lives in, like, you know, San Antonio. No, no. <laughs> Where he works. He works. His <laughs> office is over on the uh, UG I know, campus. I know. He works at the same institute over with Wallace Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's true. I got to tell you, I, when he came in and bullied me, I really it was horrible. I, I, he got left out of the no, board. Honestly, I don't know what happened. <laughs> he exposed some serious problems with you that I think we're all glad to know. Look. And we're, we're happy they're out in the light. I've started washing my lunch dishes, okay? Let's get over it. <laughs> Can you just tell us what the Civil Rights Summit is? Uh, well, okay, I guess that kind of depends on what you want to say about it. It's overall, it's a beginning to a uh, celebration of the 50th anniversary of the signing of the Civil Rights Act, which was signed actually in is it was it June or July of of 64. Um, so we're not quite there yet, but um, this is the big bang start to it. They've got four presidents coming in. Uh, Everyone but H.W. Bush. Every All the living presidents other than H.W. Bush. And they opened the conference yesterday with, uh, or I guess this went Tuesday, with a, um, with a letter from him. Uh, so, you know, all the presidents have been represented. But, yeah, it is, you know, it is the rehabilitation of, uh, of his presidency in another light from the idea of the broken man from the Vietnam War who stepped down uh, instead of, you know, going into battle against uh, Kennedy. Uh, uh, for the next primary, for the next uh, uh, presidential nomination, um, to a person who I guess the quote from the Don Gagne story on NPR this morning was, uh, you know, the most important civil rights president since Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can definitely, when you look at a lot of the different uh, social service bills and civil rights bills, the the act obviously that got, got passed, uh, you know, you can you can start to make that argument. But of course, at the end of his presidency, all everybody knew was. Vietnam and and the broken man that stepped down. And in that same piece this morning, there that Don was saying that you know for years at, at president at GOP or sorry at, uh, Democrat, Democratic yeah. nominating conventions, you know nobody would even mention Johnson's name because his legacy was so tarnished by Vietnam, yep. really, including Bill Clinton in 1992, who will be speaking mm-hmm. at the summit tonight. You know it's really fascinating. I'm I'm curious. 
who makes the decision that we're going to try to, you know, reinvent someone's legacy? Oh, I think the presidential library. I mean, uh-huh. I think you could make an argument that that's all the presidential library is there for. Right. <laughs> I mean, and some people at the <laughs> people at the LBJ library might disagree that oh, that yeah, is yeah, the primary yeah. motivation no, of, of course uh, i don't know i mean mark Uptegrove, who's the who's you know the director of the library basically said you know this is someone whose legacy has been you know whose huge civil rights legacy has been completely overshadowed i think they're very you know forthcoming about the fact that the purpose of this is to is is part of a sort of bigger initiative to, and also to celebrate the signing of the act to celebrate the signing of the act but also to reimagine his legacy and it, but it does seem to be working right so I, in addition sure. to the Don Gagne piece Karen Tumulty at the Washington Post wrote a column about it this morning um, and said you know this is good it's good to reconsider Johnson look at all he did I was speaking with uh, Graham Nash from Crosbysville's Nathan Young yesterday and he was like yeah no all I really knew about Johnson was Vietnam and we shouldn't think about him that way and he, yeah. he's this guy that wrote all these, you know, mm-hmm. sung all these songs sort of well, protesting the Vietnam War. And he's like, well, we shouldn't – that's not what we should think of when we think of LBJ. And, and they have the phone records of him, you know, talking to Martin Luther King uh, that was right. really compelling this morning that I'd actually, you know, never heard. I mean, I confess to being one of these people who sort of grew up thinking of – knowing a pr- p- particular legacy about Johnson. The library has been very beneficial in that regard because it's fascinating. The, the mm-hmm. LBJ phone records are – just amazing. There's I've had a, a chance book. to listen to yeah. several of them. There's a terrific Michael Beschloss book, mm-hmm. and if you get the audio version, I, I don't have it in front of me. I don't remember the name of it, but if uh, you get the audio version of it, it's about Johnson's phone conversations and about his tapes, and they go through all these tapes, and you're basically listening to Beschloss introduce telephone conversations and tapes of Johnson, and he's just masterful on the phone. I mean, whether you're with him or against him, it's just like, this, is, this guy's a piece of work. Well, he was also... Uh, you know, incredibly masterful in getting things done and sort of getting his way, right. which is something we really haven't seen no. in a president uh, this millennium. Maybe. Right. He's the you bully argue, from the bully know, pulpit. Medicare. <laughs> but one of the things Beschloss said, you know, is that you can't overstate how big his fumbles were with Vietnam. You know, right. they, they were huge, huge fumbles. But at the same time, he was incredibly masterful at getting these other, you know, things accomplished. I think one of the interesting things about the summit is that the premier Johnson biographer is not – invited or present. Robert Caro is not there. Um, he just came down for South by Southwest EDU, so it's was, not like he's not traveling to Austin. Right, and you know he spends a lot of time, he's probably spent more time at the library than anybody who's not an employee there. And his book, his fourth book in um, what was originally a trilogy, I guess it's now going to be a five-book series, was really about... It's like Star Wars. Right. Yeah, <laughs> know, yeah right. Oh my gosh, Disney's right. buying the book? Yeah, the Wookiees <laughs> are in the next one, or those Ewok things. Um the fourth book was largely about what happened right after Kennedy was killed and Johnson became president and passing all of these bills in 1964. And, and this sort of, you know, in, in, a, in a narrative sense, kind of started the wave that this conference is on. And they, it, might, they don't have – Kara, they do have uh, – Robert Shankin was there yesterday who's the Pulitzer Prize winning playwright who wrote mm-hmm. All the Way, which is on Broadway right now, which is about sort of getting the Civil Rights Act passed with Brian right. Cranston. It's supposed to be great. Right. Beschloss is there. Um, Really? Up to Grove himself. Mavis Staples. I don't think she wrote a biography, but <laughs> no, but she yeah. sang some great songs. Not about LBJ necessarily, but uh, are we just, I well, thought we were just listing people. I, yeah. <laughs> I do think it was interesting the way they opened the um, uh, summit was not a, a look back, but a look at where the Civil Rights Act is being um, maybe used in today's politics and today's uh, uh, you know legal system. With you know the first two panels were. Uh, gay rights and uh, immigrant rights, essentially. And so, you know, that, uh, I mean, there was, 
I just think it's very interesting. It's it's kind of like reminding everybody, look, you know, this was yes, this was something that was focused very specifically, or at least appeared very specifically on on you know the segregated South, on blacks in general in the United States. But we're trying to show you that it's it's an umbrella that's covering these new areas that are very you know hot topics in society right now. Well, and there seems to be an acceptance at the summit that um, gay rights is definitely one of the big civil rights issues of mm-hmm. our day. That's not really been challenged. I think it might be challenged at other summits, but it seems to be at, at yeah. this LBJ Library Section Summit. It seems to be very much like yes, this is a big deal, and we need to be talking about this. Also talking about women's rights and immigration. Rodney Ellis, state senator, was there. Said public education is sort of the big civil rights issue of the day, and he hopes to get uh, increased education funding in the next session, although he said that might be more up to the courts than the coming (laughs) legislature. Well, and do you think it's a coincidence that the Obama administration has really made this week about, you know, women's issues equal? This is sort of equal pay week, which, by the way, worked out perfectly for the Wendy Davis campaign, that they've been beating the drum on this for, you know, the last month, and it just so happens that now it's the Obama administration's turn. Well, I think... In honor of that, we'll give Emily the last word there, since we're, we're out of time. Since you don't pay her as much. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> in lieu of pay. I, I deserve the last word. How much cash does that last word come with? About 23 cents. Uh, on behalf of Ross, a stamp. Ben, I think that gets you half a stamp these days. Mm. When was the last time you mailed a letter? I don't know. I only get forever stamps. <laughs> Emily. Our producer, Todd, we'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music. And please send all your complaints to tribcast at texastribune.org. Come see us in Austin at Schultz Garden on the 23rd. You can get tickets at slate.com slash Austin. Until then, I'm Reeve. Thanks for listening. I'm just Jenny from the Black. I'm still, I'm still Jenny from the block.